So this morning, we are we're looking at the Christmas story as told by John. Uh, so this is, a, this is a, yeah, I like this one. So every so often, you know, most of the time we look at Matthew's story, we look at Luke's story especially. That's the story that we're like, oh, that's the one. That's my jam. We, we love that story. But every, every so often around Christmas, uh, at Christmas, it's good for us to, to look at John's perspective because he sort of gives us a, a different perspective uh, on Christmas. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to look at John chapter 1, 1 through 14. You'll find the words behind me on the screen. If you want to follow along, uh, you can do that uh, as well. Before we read, let's pray uh, together. God, once again, uh, thank you. Thank you for this place. Thank you for these people. Thank you for uh, all of those who have yet to, to join us. Uh, thank you for being with us all. And thank you for being with us through the power of your Spirit in this book called the Bible, the Scriptures. And uh, we ask, oh God, that, that your voice this morning would be the one that we hear, because we know that your voice, your word is is generative, it's transformative. And so we pray, we pray for an experience of your voice, your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John writes, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. About him, nothing was made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him, all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, pitched His tent among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We will go that far. Okay, so that's kind of a different Christmas story, isn't it? It's not the one we we normally hear. This is sort of a different perspective that John gives us this morning. It's a it's a different perspective. It's a different it's a different kind of a story. Like if we if we tried to, it'd be really hard for us to make a children's Christmas pageant out of this story, wouldn't it? Like it'd be really difficult. Uh, like it'd kind of be weird if we tried. But you know what? We could do it. We could totally do it. Here's how, here's how we could do it. 
uh, we would have to strip down the whole sanctuary and make it as bare as we possibly could. So all the decorations would have to go. There'd be no poinsettias, no trees, no lights, no nothing, right? We'd have to get the place as dark as we possibly could. There would be hardly any props in the room whatsoever. There'd be maybe a, a small table with an unlit candle up here at the front. And everybody in this dark room, as dark as we could get it, would just sit as, as quietly as we possibly could. And from the back of the worship space would, would come a child a child that none of us recognized because the light came into the world and no one recognized it, even though it belonged to Jesus. So there'd be a child that none of us recognized would walk in with a light, light the candle, and slowly walk out, and we would just ponder the candle. That's the Christmas pageant we would make. At least if we were playing with the theme of, of the light that's in there, Right? That'd be kind of weird. Or we could do another way. We could play with this, this idea of the Word becoming flesh. We could do another Christmas children's pageant here. You had no idea you were going to get alternative children's Christmas pageant ideas this morning, did you? You had no clue. Here's another way we could do it. We could rig up like this wire system from the middle of the ceiling up there. Hang with me. Hang with, we'd clear a space right down there in the middle, and we'd have this wire system that we could, we could hook up. We could hook a child to it uh, up there on the ceiling. And we would slowly lower the child. The child would slowly lower and descend to the ground. And this child would be wearing a very particular kind of costume. Hang with me here. It would just be a costume of the word, word. Right? Or if we wanted to get really fancy, it would be logos which is the Greek word behind the word, word. So the child would descend slowly to the ground. And once the child got to the ground, they would take off that costume and reveal another costume. It would be, it would be a, your, you know, your run-of-the-mill first-century Palestinian Jewish garb, right? And then the child would, would pitch a tent and get inside and hang out there for a while. That would be the Christmas pageant on John chapter 1. And people would be like, this is weird. This is really, do they always do weird things like this in this church? Well, maybe. Right? It would be weird. So there's, it would be tough to make a Christmas pageant out of John chapter 1. We can't really do it. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. No Christmas pageant here. This is more sort of philosophical in nature, more theological in nature. But here's the deal. I think this version of the Christmas story is powerful. And if we let it, it sort of has the capacity to, to blow our minds because it has also, we're talking about the reality of the incarnation here, and it has all sorts of implications for our lives if we let it. It really is mind-blowing. I mean, we're used to listening to the, the nice little neat prepackaged stories that we get from, from the Gospel of Luke and from the Gospel of Matthew. Like, we love those stories, and those stories are great. And most of us know those stories re really well because we rehearse them every single year. Like, even if we don't know those stories really well, we at least know the names of the people who are involved. We know about how Caesar Augustus uh, issued a decree 
that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So everybody had to leave where they lived, and they had to go to their hometown in order to be, in order to be counted. We know about how Mary and Joseph had to leave the small town of Nazareth and go to, to Bethlehem in order to be counted. We also know that Bethlehem at the time was so packed with people because people had to go and get counted that there was no room for them in the inn. And so they had to, they had to go out back and sleep in the stable with the animals. And wouldn't you know it, that's when the baby decides to come. He was born a boy. They name him Jesus. They wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and because they didn't have a crib, they, they had to lay him in a, in a cow's feed box, a manger. We know about the shepherds, too who were watching their flocks by night. We know about how they were visited by an angel, told them not to be afraid, and then a whole company of angels, uh, a whole choir of angels started singing, singing this big, beautiful, grand song. And they, they were told that they had to go to Bethlehem to see this baby Savior who was lying in a manger. We know about the wise men. We think there were three of them, but that's just because there were three gifts. We don't know. There might have been two. There might have been five. We don't know, but we know about the wise men. We heard about them. These foreigners, get this, these foreigners, these outsiders who were, who were in some way, somehow in tune enough with the divine that they knew something was going down in Bethlehem and the divine was up to something special and they had to go see it. They had to go witness it. They had to go experience it. They had to even bring gifts. So we know that story. It's a great story. It's a beautiful story. And even though we didn't read the scriptures, we still rehearsed it once again. But the way that John tells it, right? He takes this small, localized, very personal, particular story. You know what he does with it? gives it cosmic context. This is cosmic Christmas. He blows it up to cosmic level. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. And then the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. So we have to, we have to ask the question, why does John use this word, Word? Like, what is he talking about here? The word, in the beginning was the Word. I mean, he doesn't use the word Son. In the beginning was the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was God. He was with God in the beginning. He doesn't use the word Lord. In the beginning was the Lord. The Lord was with God. The Lord was God. He was with God in the beginning. He doesn't use those two words. And those two words are words that were being used to, to describe who Jesus is. He doesn't use that word. He uses the word Word, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Why would he do this? Why would he speak in this way? That's a good question. Here's what I think I think John was working really hard to connect Jesus and to help reveal who he is. And he was trying to do it to the largest group of people possible. He was trying to reach the most, the greatest amount of people he possibly could, right? So he's giving us cosmic Christmas. Now to understand this, we have to do a little work on the word, word, right? This is important. So the Greek word behind the word, word, which is fun to say, by the way, is logos. Logos, it's where we get our word logic, logical, 
logistics. And when we have those words in mind, we're thinking reason, reasonableness, right? So for the people of John's day, here's what it meant. For the Greeks, this was a word they used all the time. This was a word they were familiar with. For, the, for them, the logos was like the, the rational principle behind the universe, right? It's what gives the universe its reasonableness. It's why things make sense. The logos was the invisible, intelligent, integrating force of the universe. We're getting real philosophical now. You could say that the logos was the life force that holds all things together and sustains all things. The logos gives us the laws of nature and maintains order. Are you with me? Here's what N.T. Wright says about it. The idea of the word would also make some of his readers think of ideas that pagan philosophers had discussed. Some spoke of the word as the kind of principal rationality lying deep within the whole cosmos, the whole universe, and within all human beings. Get in touch with this principle, they said, and your life will find its true meaning. Oh man, that's so good. So, for the Jews, the Logos was the agent of creation. One Jewish philosopher, Philo of Alexandria, even though he said the Logos was an impersonal thing, called the Logos the captain and pilot of the universe. That's cool. The captain, pilot of the universe. So when John writes, in the beginning was the Logos, the word. And the Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. Everyone would have said, yep, we know what you're talking about, John. We're totally familiar with that. We get it. But then when John said, the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. The Logos the rational principle behind all things, the life force that holds all things together, that sustains all of life, the entire universe became flesh, it would have been mind-blowing. The force behind all things that holds all things together entered into creation and became a human being. That would have been... Gives us this cosmic context. What is happening here? So why does John start his story of Jesus, tell his Christmas story from, with this mind-blowing reality? Why does he do this? Well, I think it's that when we read the rest of the story, we understand what's going on. We understand it correctly. Listen, John wants us to recognize and to understand that Mary's baby, in those other stories we read, Mary's baby who would grow up and eat and drink and walk and talk and hang out with, with regular human beings is none other than the creator of the universe and shows us exactly what God is like. John wants us to understand that the man who would become so thirsty that he would ask a foreigner, a Samaritan, for a drink of water is the same one who at the beginning of all things figured out how to create hydrogen atoms and oxygen atoms and slam them together in order to make water. John wants us to understand that the man who would cross all social barriers in order to include the marginalized and people who've been set aside in society, 
is the same man. He probably did so because he's the one who created them and loves them still. John wants us to understand that the man who would grow up and eventually give up his life on the cross is the one who created life itself. The one who created and sustains life became one of us. The one who made the universe became, just think about the vastness and the amazingness of the universe. All you have to do is get on Google and Google amazing things about the universe or, or mind-blowing realities about the universe and you come up with all sorts of things that will just break your brain. Totally break your brain. Later on this afternoon, not now because I'm talking, later this afternoon, just Google mind-blowing facts about the universe, right? And then think about the fact that the person who made that, who made it happen, became a human being. Go ahead, do that later, but listen to some of these things. Did you know that there are approximately 10 billion trillion stars in the known universe? 10 billion trillion. That's 10 followed by 15 zeros through him. All things were made. As you know, our sun is really a star. And every minute, it gives off 6 billion quadrillion calories of heat. That's 6, followed by 27 zeros through him. All things were made. 300 million light years away, there's a star that gives off 2 trillion times the amount of energy as the sun through him all things were made. I just saw this thing put out by NASA last week. There's a, wor there's a new working theory of, of how we got our moon. Like People are asking the question, where did the moon come from? How did that happen? Right? Here's the newest working theory from NASA scientists. Back when our Earth was just baby Earth, it was more of a a ball of floating molten lava just hanging out in space back when our Earth was baby Earth. Hurtling through space came this Mars-sized object, and it hurtled and slammed into baby Earth, and a glop of Earth sort of just floated off and then stopped and hung out there and became our moon. That's the working theory. Don't ask me to explain it. Through him, all things were made. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The one who dreamed up the whole thing and made it happen became a human being. Great. What does it all mean? Like, what are the implications for us? There must be a billion of them. We got time for three. Right? Here's one. Our bodies took on human flesh. Our bodies matter. Our bodies are beautiful, precious gifts. Our bodies are flesh and blood bone and skin, they matter. Think of it. Jesus didn't come and become an angel. 
He took on human flesh. Jesus didn't come as like this ghost-like figure that kind of looked human, right? which is what some people believed and why John is so specific about what he's writing and how he's writing his gospel. He wanted everyone to know that Jesus, God, took on human flesh. The material world, our bodies are good and beautiful. Somewhere along the line, we've been given this idea that our bodies are bad and can't be trusted. And that someday, one day, we're just souls trapped in this sort of meat puppet. And one day we'll, we'll float off and escape our bodies and, and go to heaven one day. That's a, that's a Plato idea, by the way, the philosopher Plato. That's his idea and other philosophers' ideas, that doesn't come from the Bible. No, no, no. These bodies are good and beautiful. They are gifts. God took on real human flesh, giving all human flesh dignity. No matter what the world tells you, no matter what anyone tells you, our bodies, your body, exactly how it was made, is good is beautiful just as it is. Human flesh matters. We all have dignity. Here's what else I think it means. I think it means we have comfort when we suffer. Like, I think Christmas reveals to us Christmas, God becoming a human being, experience all the, all the things that we experience. Christmas reveals to us the, the, the unbelievable empathy of God. Think of it. God doesn't just sympathize with our pain, with our suffering. God empathizes with our pain because God became flesh, experienced pain like we do, experienced suffering like we do. His best friend Lazarus died. His own daddy Joseph died. He knows what it's like. God, the creator of the universe, behind all that is, experiences the reality of human loss. God knows our grief. And when nailed to the cross, God experienced the horrible realities of human violence and injustice. We can have comfort in our suffering. One more thing I think it means means that we have hope for the future. One day, the whole thing will be made whole again. When God was born in that stable and put in that manger, when God became human, He forever connected God's self to our humanity. Think of it. After Jesus died and was resurrected, He had a transformed human body, one that Jesus will have forever and ever. God forever tied up his future with ours. God becoming flesh is a guarantee that one day all flesh will be redeemed, restored, transformed. Those are powerful implications. The story of Christmas, when you really think about it and give it this cosmic context, the story of Christmas is about the before-the-beginning, world-creating, chaos-ordering Word of God actually taking on the flesh and blood of human beings. It's about God, 
the creator of the universe becoming one of us, walking with us, making his dwelling among us. And in that becoming, walking, and making, Jesus has revealed to us the very heart of God. But God becoming flesh didn't come without risk. Because anytime you reveal yourself, anytime you reveal your heart to someone, you take a risk. God took a chance when God became human. God took a chance when God left the the peace and beauty of heaven in order to enter into our cruel and selfish world. Why would God do such a thing? We know why. Because of love. God came into the world to show us just how much he loves us and just how far he's willing to go to prove his love for us. God came into the world to communicate to us that the creator of the universe wants to have a deep and forever relationship with us. God came into the world to communicate that no matter matter how far we've strayed, no matter how many terrible things we've done, no matter how many terrible things have been done to us, no matter how insignificant we think we are or how insignificant the world says we are, God came into the world to communicate to us that he loves us still. And God proves his love for us in that while we were yet making a mess of things, he died on the cross for us to show us just how much he loves us. Now that's a word I could stand to hear every day, not just on Christmas. Let's pray.